Welcome back to Video Drone. My name's Fraser. And my name's Craig. Uh, this time round, as promised, we're going to have a look at the Phantasm movie since yep. it's nearly Halloween and also mm -hmm. the internet's been alight with uh, news of the well, the actual release mm -hmm. of Phantasm Remastered and also mm -hmm. the fifth in the series, Ravager. Sure. So, as promised, yeah, we're going to have a look at all five of the films. Indeed, yeah. They're going to figure mm -hmm. out how to get it somehow from the States for yeah. Ravager, but uh, we'll get there. We'll get there. So it'll be a two-part of this one. Sure, yeah. We'll, we'll hope to do three films in the yeah, first we'll one. Yeah, we'll cover one to three in this one. And we'll then cover uh, parts four and five yeah, next Oblivion time. and Ravager. And I think in the future we'll we'll make some sort of updates either to one of our to our Facebook or Twitter or um, maybe like uh, YouTube or something with uh, with what we thought about the remastered version because that doesn't really seem appropriate to discuss here. No. We're just going to review them flat as they've always yeah. been and has, as we watched them. But later, I think I'd like to talk about how we saw Remastered when we get a chance to view it, because it's not sure. out here yet. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't look like it's getting a similar release, but it looks like it's going to be coming on Blu-ray. Eventually. So, so we might have to import it, or yeah, cause we'll the, wait for a UK release. The US release. are getting it before Christmas yeah. on Blu-ray, and it's had a limited release over there. But it's had one screen in here, right. in London, but um, it would be interesting yeah. to talk about whether we think it's it's like a sort of worthy revisit whether they needed to change anything whether those yeah. things enhance the film because I mean we've, we've just watched the old, I've got the old Anchor Bay box set and it seems yeah. pretty good to me um, for, you know for its time but we'll see what um, Bad Robot have been doing with Up it too. Yeah. yeah okay let's <laughs> go So first up out of all the Phantasm films is the original one, 1979, directed by Don Coscarelli, mm -hmm. um, with a fantastic cast of unknowns, as they were then. Yeah. Um, so we've got Mike Baldwin, Bill Thornbury, Reggie Bannister, Kathy Lester, and Angus Scrim. Indeed. And anybody else doesn't need mentioning, really. No, not really. I mean, in fact, um, I believe that some of them were slated to be in uh, more scenes, but they kind of got uh, cut throughout the filmmaking process. So. Right. A lot of the actors who turn up were probably originally meant to have uh, slightly bigger roles, but they decided to make it a bit more of an economical film. So, to sum up the plot, have you got a, got a plot? Or I've got, I've got, literally got a brief line. Well, go for it. Go for it. Okay, so two brothers discover their local mortuary has mysterious goings-on involving dwarves, psychic nonsense, flying killer spheres, <laughs> and a boogeyman. Well done. Boogeyman, bogeyman. Yeah. <laughs> Depends if you're American. Yeah. <laughs> When did you first come across Phantasm? Well, that's exactly what I was going to ask you, strangely enough. <laughs> it was being a little bit younger than yourself, but it was the late 80s for me. Yeah. Um, my brother rented the first one. Right. I do remember him renting it from Adams' our local video store. Right. And it was the uh, cover where the where the sort of uh, young woman has like hands up towards the face. Right. No sign of spheres or anything like that. Um, so this was the Guild Reel release, I think it was. Yeah, yeah. I believe so. That's right. Uh, but anyway... That was my first exposure to it, and it must have been the late 80s, because I remember seeing the second one soon afterwards. Right, yeah. So I wasn't I wasn't ever like in the sort of position where I watched the first one and was, and was wondering if there would ever be a sequel. Yeah. I saw them pretty much straight together, much like I did with a lot of kind of genre fair back then that had uh -huh. a sequel. 
I, I owned that same release years later as well because right. I remember buying it from Chesley Street Market of all places. <laughs> the big box. Which, yeah, yeah, the big yeah, box yeah. One, yeah. I, and Phantasm 2 at the yeah, same time. I, I mean, I'm pretty sure I, I remember seeing the trailer back in the day mm-hmm. in the late 70s, although why it would have been on anything that I would have gone into the cinema to see, I've got <laughs> no idea. But um, I suppose it's quite a fantastical film. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, and I just remember, I definitely remember seeing the video box back in the day. It had the the sort of poster, mm-hmm. which was sort of like little bits, proper posters as they used to be, yeah. not like modern day film posters. It was all which little, is just all Photoshop. Crap. Yeah, little bits of the film <laughs> all all drawn and it looked dead interesting. And always like the name itself sort of always mm-hmm. intrigued us, and it wasn't until obviously a lot later on. Part of the name to... comes from Edgar Allan Poe. Right, it's is that a what term it is? used in more than one short story. Ah, I'll see. So, I mean, for a long time it was kind of out of print because it was released mm. at the dawn of video. Yeah. Um, and I think it only really got picked up again properly when the sequel came along in the late 80s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you know what I mean. So it's uh, sort of like, yeah, it was out. It was never banned. It was never a nasty or anything like that. No. It just literally fell out of circulation because, you know, tapes yeah. just degraded in those days and you didn't buy exactly. them. Exactly. And, you know, being a sort of, uh, you know, not the most mainstream horror film, it kind no. of just sort of slipped through the cracks for a while until the re-release, I guess. But everybody seemed to know about the silver ball, though. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm. Well, I think the thing is that they, they were heavily sort of featured in all the trailers, so even if you've not seen the movie, mm-hmm. you kind of know that that's, Phantasm has something to do with the spheres. Or... So the film itself is a sort of low-budget, local sort of, production really yeah. isn't it mm-hmm. which was quite prevalent in the 70s that's right i mean coscarelli had worked with some of the actors including reggie bannister and mike baldwin before mm-hmm. um they'd made uh, some sort of high school drama and some um, sort of uh, family drama thing i think um but basically they knew each other like sort of semi well by that point and uh-huh. were kind of good friends so i guess that um it was it, they were like the natural choice yeah Really and haven't worked before together. And the director already worked with uh, Angus Scrim, who plays the baddie in it. That's right, yes. And he'd, he'd, uh, he'd thought, like, oh, well, he's quite an Im- imposing guy. Mm-hmm. He'd make a great baddie in a film. Um, it's quite good because it's sort of like set in the 70s and it's kind of like a real 70s to yeah. me, as opposed to like when it's you see all these. One. Yeah, these Richard Linklater films where all the kids wear cool clothes and that. Mm. Mike's sort of double den- denim and all the way through. <laughs> Everything looks sort of natural rather yeah. than like. Yeah, he's got of, a very sort of seventies uh, haircut as well. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> big hair and that, and yeah, it's like proper like and the flares are flares, definitely. Exactly, yes. Um, and yeah, everything's like sort of naturalistic, like it feels that. authentic. In it a, does. In a way. It does. Uh, it has a very surreal and kind of dreamlike atmosphere. Very uh, accomplished effects in it, which all, all contribute. It's very professionally done, even mm-hmm. though it's dead low budget. Yeah. But the the, the main thing I've got. The big bone about the film is that I don't think that there was ever a final shooting script. No, um, I think that's clear from watching it as well. Yeah, even if you really like the film, uh-huh. there in there are a lot of inconsistencies and things in it. As soon, I mean, I've always enjoyed the film, and as soon as I watched it this time, with a sort of well, not that we're hardly critics, but with a critical view to it. Yeah, and with modern eyes. Yeah, modern eyes, and maybe he's trying to pull threads on it. Uh, picking the bits a bit it's like oh it doesn't fall to bits totally I still no. love the film but um, there's just so many it's just technically the, the film's uh, unfortunately it's quite badly shot yeah um, not so much shot it's, I mean it's professional looking but there's just I've got like bits where Mike's spying on his brother 
mm-hmm. and you've got these POV shots of Mike and then when you see where his brother is it couldn't happen it's yeah. like I know things like that it's just so I know it falls mean. to bits dead and easy. we mentioned the uh, continuity because of the fact that there were a lot of characters in it originally but a lot of those characters are still in the film but they're in one or two scenes whereas yeah. originally they were in a lot of scenes and the 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 sort of girls who you see like towards the end of the film who like uh, Jodie's friends with mm-hmm. um, who sort of look after Mike uh, when he goes out on his own you don't really get as good enough introduction to them to no. know who they are things like that you know am I right is the bit in the film where you see one of those girls going to the, it's all set in the cemetery Morningside mm-hmm. Cemetery where a girl seems to be heading towards there late at night and then it just doesn't go anywhere well that there is an explanation for that the the girl I believe is the fortune teller um, yeah the, the, the granddaughter. The granddaughter. Yeah. And she, there was supposed to be a subplot where um, she went to investigate Morningside after Mike told her something about uh-huh. it. And then she went missing. And another scene where Mike went back to the cemetery later was supposed to show that he'd went to looking for her. So it's just a gaping plot hole. Yeah, basically, yeah. Yeah, so it's just, <laughs> it's things like that you tend to pick up on. You don't realise, you know, when you watch it first time round, you just let it wash over you a bit. But we so we should probably go a bit more on the story because we're talking about the sure, uh, yeah. inconsistencies. But um, so basically, Mike's parents have both died in an accident. That's right. Yes. Um, which means seemingly quite recently. Yes. Um, and he's it's, it's got the hint is that his brother's going to just leave town mm-hmm. um, in his fantastic muscle car. Yeah. Um, which is yeah, Hemicuda. Um, Hemicuda. That's Hemicuda, right. Hemicuda. Yeah. Which is almost as iconic to me as the the Mad Max mobile mm. sort of thing. You know, yeah. it's, it's a really cool looking. American car. Um, so, so, Mike's, so they brought it back for every sequel. Exactly. So Mike's <laughs> got this sort of like anxiety that his brother Jody's going to yeah. leave him. And you actually hear him tell another person that. Yeah. Um, he, he's he's following him and he hears a conversation where he basically says, oh, you know, he's I'm quitting. He's had a rough yeah. time and everything and I feel bad about it, but I'm out of here. I've had enough sort yeah. of thing. Because it is like small town. Yeah. Yeah. And, it's, and that's the thing is he's going to, he's going to sort of leave him behind. So, the kid's paranoid about it. He's kind of tailing his brother, and then um, again, he's managed to get across town chasing a car. <laughs> at one point, he leaves the house and then he pulls up in the car. And it's like, how did he manage to chase him that quick? But like, so he's literally like sort of like a proper kid brother, like mm. looks up to his older brother, but um, doesn't mm. want him to leave and stuff like that. And That's he's right. kind of sort of traumatized anyway. Exactly. And but the catalyst for the sort of horror elements of the plot is that the. That Reggie, uh, which is a friend of uh, Jody, mm-hmm. their friend dies. Yeah, uh, under weird circumstances, mm-hmm. and upon uh, sort of attending the funeral, Mike sees some, or rather, when Mike's following him. Yeah, because Mike isn't doesn't go at the go funeral. Go the funeral, but he's but he spying on them. them. Yeah, and he sees some really weird things, including a mysterious tall man. Who basically lifts like a co- coffin like it was nothing and yeah. just chucks it in the back of the house. Which is just taking about six people to get into the grave and then he, yeah, he picks it up and puts it in and that just sets off the whole what's going on at the mortuary. And that's all, that's all sort of dead realistic. And then you've got like Mike's on the motorbike all the time. There yeah. is, that's definitely, uh, Jody's on a push bike for some reason at some point. But Mike's on his little motorbike bombing about. Oh. He's a dead resourceful kid, mm-hmm. which, but in a believable way. Yes. Um, not like you sort of some of your Spielberg kids and that who mm. are just like ridiculously but he's I mean it's dead funny there's a scene where you see him like a sort of point of view of him on the bike as if the camera's like strapped to his chest a bit like Harvey Keitel in Main Streets mm. when he's like around 
but you can see in the background that the tracks that they're leaving that he's on the trail of, of a double track not <laughs> so they can't be helped but it's just like endearing to me like you know sort of bad movie making yeah but uh yeah he's, he's sort of like because he gets psychically knocked off the bike at some point that's right he? yeah i mean when uh, shortly after witnessing the tall man um putting the sort of a coffin he, he see, sees that he's seen him if you like mm-hmm. and he sort of like seems to sort of knock him off the bike with a power just with like the power of his mind or whatever yeah. supernatural abilities he's got and so then the next shot it shows you on the bike like hightailing and out of there mm-hmm. and I quite like the way the film's edited because there's a few bits like that including the aforementioned scene where, where Mike's talking about leaving him behind mm-hmm. it's cutting between the present time and other stuff that illustrates what it's talking about so I mean, at the start, you see Tommy getting murdered. That's quite graphic. Yeah. So uh, yeah, we never mentioned the friend's name, but it yeah. is in fact uh, Tom, Tommy. Tommy. Yeah. So he gets killed by the tall man, as it turns out, mm-hmm. who um, has a, another guy's. Uh, yeah, the lady in lavender. So it's Tommy very gets. Strange. <laughs> There's another podcast out there called Telling Steve Dave, um, which is sort of Ken part Smith. of the Ken Smith Network. Yeah who've devoted an entire episode to what is known as the tranny trick. Basically, the tall man turns into a girl, seduces blokes, <laughs> and then uh, offs awesome. them. But the way it's done, the, the, the sort of the jump cut, yeah. where it's the girl, and then it t- sort of turns into the tall man, it's well done. Yeah, It's quite menacing. I think that um, you could also interpret it, without seeing a later scene, that he's kind of watching her kill him as well. You, yeah, I suppose you could. But the two are never actually separated yeah, as such, are that's they? That's true, yeah. I mean, um, I think that maybe when I was a bit younger, I, I sort of thought he was watching a woman who was this kind of henchman, like murder yeah. somebody. But but yeah, I think, you know, now I can kind of appreciate the fact that it's supposed to be a dissolvent to him, yeah. especially considering it there's is. another scene later with the Lady in Lavender yeah, uh-huh. as well. Um, but the, the the score is excellent with the film as well. Yeah, it's very that. memorable, very memorable. It, it is. I think that the... Um, he sort of changed it for um, the the later films and done like done like a kind of rejigged version. And I like the original so much more. Yeah, I really like the uh, the score of it in general. But, it's a bit um, like what John Carpenter did with Escape from New York. He did a funked up version for Escape from LA. Yeah, and it's mm-hmm. like nah, it's not as good as the not original. Not quite as good. Nah, no. it never is. <laughs> because this film spawned so many sequels, mm-hmm. I think I try not like trying to take the film on its own is difficult. It's difficult because. Because, like what I said before, I think the films changed a lot. In there's definitely overdubbing on there to change lines. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, the plot, the certain elements of things that happen in Phantasm One that get explained in later films, but I don't think they ring true. No. Um, not all of them. No, not all. I mean, some some things definitely yeah. do, but but not all of them. Um, and then the actual sort of film itself by the end, the sort of final. De, de Numon, is that what you'd say? It's just such a cheat. It's a mm. deceitful film. Mm. Um, I get what you're coming to, to such a point to say, basically, should we give it away? We'll not give it away. Well, I mean, the thing is, is, I would think that if anyone is uh, listening to me reviews, hopefully they've watched it, they can skip ahead a yeah. minute or something. Well, it's a 40 year old film, nearly. Exactly. So. <laughs> basically, at the end of the film, it was, it, well, it's kind of, it was all a dream. Mm-hmm. But that couldn't be. Because of, but then there is something to illustrate that it wasn't again at the end. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, but it's just that whole cop out ending. It's just like, mm, oh no. But is it really a cop out end if it illustrates that it did in fact happen, or at least some of it happened at the end? Some of it happened, but no, no. There's t- I, know what, t- I know what you mean. It's, <laughs> I do know what you mean, but I think that because um, without spoiling too much, it it shows it effectively shows the tall man is real. Yes, but. 
it introduces something that makes the rest of the film seem like a dream. So yeah. while the tall man exists and he's still a threat to like um to sort of uh, Reggie and Mike and Cole, um, it basically chucks a lot of what you thought, a lot of the other things you thought out of the window. Yeah. By saying that another character's been dead all along. Yeah, exactly. Some yeah, other characters I mean, been dead all along. Other well, characters well, just aren't even there. Well, not skirt around it because the film's forty years old and yeah. like I say, you can fast forward shit. But mm-hmm. no, it basically goes on to say that Jody died in a car, the car crash. crash. Yeah. And seemingly that's how the parents died, so that would mean that Jody had been dead all along. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a massive part of the film. He has his own individual scenes, mm-hmm. which doesn't subscribe to a dream. And if the original cut had been a thing, he would have had an entire like sort of he would have had a lot more scenes like involving his like his job and like mm-hmm. his sort of colleagues at like the bank and like he would have been a much even bigger character. Yeah, totally. totally. <laughs> so it is a bit strange. Yeah, though. it is strange. What we should talk about is the tall man. Yes, and of his little acolytes. And, yeah, definitely. Um, the whole dwarf thing, the whole alien thing. Yes, exactly. Quite funny that Angus Scrim says on the DVD that when he was approached for the fact that he was going to play an alien, he said, "Oh, I wonder if I'll be a Welshman or a Chinese." <laughs> <laughs> that's, good perhaps, 70s, that's good seventies thinking that way. Or perhaps, um, or perhaps uh, you know, a sort of uh, Eastern European of some to some origin. But but no, because it turns out Coscarelli wanted him to play an actual being from another dimension. Absolutely, and <laughs> so as revealed towards the end, yeah, the tall man seems to come from another dimension. Definitely, well, he's got yellow blood. Yes, that's right. Um, they've got this weird sort of portal to another, which is place. generally referred to by fans as the Space Gate. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, basically, what he's doing is going around cemeteries. Um, taking the taking dead. the corpses, crushing them down, reanimating them into and then, zombie dwarves. Yeah, and then sending them off to this other dimension. Yeah, which is just totally bonkers. out there, totally yeah. bonkers. Yeah, and when you see the other dimension, it's just this kind of barren landscape with like a red sky. Yeah, sort of negative sort of image, isn't it? And he keep he crushes them down and puts them in these kind of container things, uh-huh. and then they get like sent through the space gate. Uh huh. So it's busy slaves, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's been sent in this other world. So, but in the meantime, they 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 sort of scuttle around in the mortuary as like little jowers, which yeah. must have been totally coincidental, I think. Apparently so. Yes. Yeah. Apparently, he has been asked about that like uh, over the years, and he said like, um, I mean, the 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 sort of the creatures themselves are quite different. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. But, but to, to but see but them in from terms a dis- of when you see them from a distance in the hoods and stuff. Yeah. They just look yeah, like, I can yeah. see why people think that, totally. especially since the often shuffle past the camera like quickly like in the scene without a do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> the sort of like yeah, well obviously with it being a horror film they're all lurking about in the shadows. Yeah. Um and it's super effective. They even good. even lurk about in broad daylight behind headstones and things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's all just sort of like just corner of the eye sort of stuff which yeah. which is dead good, dead effective. So obviously the tall man has those minions but then he has the most famous and iconic minions which is the obviously the silver spheres. The ball, yeah. Yeah. Which is just like bonkers killer machine. Yeah, that's all it is. Basically. I mean, you don't know anything about it in the film. It comes out of nowhere. I've got it, written down here that it's incredibly well executed, especially a for a low effect. budget film. Yeah, for yeah. a low budget film, it's so effective. I mean, they used quite sparingly in the first film. Yeah, I mean, it's just sort of really like a couple of scenes, really, yeah. isn't it? I think it's like two scenes. Yeah. Um, when it kills that fella, which is actually another sort of acolyte of the tall man, he's sort of mm. like caretaker type fella. Yeah. Does he piss himself? Yes. He does, right? Because I was thinking, <laughs> yeah, it's just like, yeah. absolutely, it's, yeah. yeah. 
that I, I, when I first saw the film many years ago, I wondered if that's exactly what it was supposed to be or whether it was some of the sort of fluid leaking out of it. Yeah. But no, it, Costco really even has confirmed it himself. It is, it is supposed that to is be. That is a, a full on scene, that when you think yeah. about it. I mean, there's not a lot of other like gore in the film besides the bit where the guy gets uh, attacked by the sphere, apart from the tall man's fingers get cut off. Yeah. And they get reanimated as little beasts. Yeah. Uh, well, a little little bug, bug thing, yeah, creature. Um, we'll not talk about that part of the film because it's quite distressing <laughs> in a pool way. <laughs> um, but this 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 silver sphere that that flies about, which is probably about the size of that microphone I'm speaking yeah, into. So it flies around. Mm-hmm. Big spikes come out of it, attaches itself to your head, and then drills your brains out and squirts it all out the back. And it's an incredibly drawn out scene because there's a hell of a lot of blood comes comes and out a lot of back. twitching yeah a lot of twitching and a, a, a <laughs> and large amount throws. of wee yeah a large <laughs> amount of wee wee um, and it's just sort of stops it. well I wouldn't say it stops the film dead but like, to say that for the first mm. time yeah. back in in the day sort of thing it's just like wow that's awesome never yeah. seen nothing like it you've never seen anything like it I since in the first in the first film you still get a sense that they're, that they're like a kind of sentry or like sort of protector of the tall yeah. man look because you even see from the sphere's vision almost like it's some sort of like a robotic creation or he can like remotely a, view like them sort of terminator yeah like it's, that it's red like a red vision yeah uh-huh. um but um seemingly like the tall man can see through their eyes and they're like a mm. sentry for him yeah in fact in a sequel they're referred to as sentinels yeah but they, that doesn't, they don't get to call that until later. It keeps on subverting your expectations towards the end as to whether the tall man's been killed or not. Like, yeah. And, you know, there's more than one kind of end, if you like. There's, like, another chase and then yeah. there's another chase. I mean, that's a bit that lets it down, really, because all through the film, he's a dead sort of calm body, um, sort of in the background, just lurking about. But mm-hmm. by the end, he's sort of, like, running through the woods and he gets a bit sort of Friday Slashing. the 13th. Yeah. yeah. But it does. It sort of. I've only thought about that in retrospect since I watched, watched mm-hmm. it again. But it is a bit sort of cheesy. He basically does like makes his minions do most of the dirty work. Exactly the film, until really. until Mike really pesters him. Yeah. For want of a better word, exactly. and then he says, "Right, I am going to get you now," and he quite literally chases him through the woods. That's right. Um, um, which, after a sort of scene where he's like morphed into the lady, lady in lavender again. Yeah. Um, we should talk a little bit. We talked a lot about Mike, a lot about Jodie. Haven't really talked about Reggie very much, have we? No, the ice cream uh, man who's who's <laughs> in a band who would appear with Jodie, yeah. um, and obviously got the pitchfork tuning scene, which is quite a sort of foreshadowing of, of later events in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, and the sequels too. Yeah, I mean, ultimately in the sequels he becomes a bit of a Bruce Campbell knockabout figure, but in this one he's fairly yeah. straight. He only gets brought on board like towards the very end of the film. Maybe. Yeah. He doesn't know anything of what's going on until the bug thing that uh, Tall Man's fingers turn in exactly. and attacks him. Yeah, because that's when he comes in and he's like, what's going on? And like, oh, you're yeah. not going to believe this. But um, <laughs> but it's really funny when they're wildly bashing the sort of bag about off everything. But again, there's there's this weird, weird scene. Um, I think it's kind of in slow motion where the, the Tall Man walks past, past Reggie because he's just he's in plain sight. Oh, the of course, man. the infamous yeah, the ice cream van. Scene, yeah, where he sort of Reggie is an ice cream vendor in, in an American sense, not a UK. Mm. So, oh, he's got a funny little car sort of thing yeah. which he sells out of, which is not a conventional ice cream. Um, it's like a truck with truck. a refrigerated back. Sort of thing, yeah, it's all it? the yeah. back, and so you got all. He's opened the truck, and all the sort of steam, steamy sort of coldness is coming out. Now the tall man pauses. Yes. Seems to sort of take it all in, then continues on his way. Now I know in subsequent mm-hmm. films they've said, "Oh, he's uh, he doesn't like the cold," 
but I don't think it's clear. That's not, not clear at all. No. In that, we're that, gonna, we'll come back to that. We'll um, have to, yeah. In, a, in another review, because they make a, a thing of that in another movie, but I don't know if that... It's one of those things, like, it's if you believe Coscarelli or not as to whether that was intentional, because it really... To me, it doesn't seem to cement either way, whether he likes it or doesn't like it. No. To me, it looks almost more like he's kind of savouring the yeah, cold. Yeah, absolutely. That's spot on. Now, so... He puts his hand out, uh-huh. and he sort of kind of he's seems like, to He's like, in a reverie, isn't he? He's like, ooh. Yeah, he seems to be yeah. like, almost like somebody would like smell the flowers, yeah. you know, he's like so, taking it in. The way Coscarelli goes on to explain it, oh no, he doesn't like the cold. As in, if that was flames, you or me would... Whew, straight past. Exactly. You wouldn't hang about. You know no, what I mean. You wouldn't. So, so that's my really way of thinking. True. No, it doesn't ring true at all. But <laughs> unfortunately, it's just an odd scene in the film. But it's quite mm. effective because you get to see like right, there's something not it's right surreal. with him. Yeah. yeah, it's surreal and it's well shot. Yeah. When apparently when the film was first released in America on VHS, mm-hmm. there was um, there was an accidental edit to it, which and obviously we've we've had it complete on VHS for like and then DVD and that for years. Yeah. I don't believe there was ever any problem with it in the UK, but apparently the scene where Reggie's in the room with the space gate and the lights go out. Mm-hmm. Apparently, the guy who was editing the, uh, the film on her home video didn't realise it was tape, meant to be. Yeah, he saw black and he was trained to edit any black segments, so that's what he did. Right. He just cut the whole thing out. Because it does, yeah. I think there's maybe mm. a hum in the background for a bit and then dialogue. But That's yeah. right. So apparently it wasn't until like, it wasn't from like the early 80s until about 1998 when it was restored in America on home video. It's quite interesting that I thought. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> but I mean, I think we've probably talked too much about Phantasm 1. But I mean, we both enjoyed the film. There's plot holes galore. Um, but it just doesn't, it's just a, it's a great little film. Yeah, this. I mean, it's very flawed, but it's it's really enjoyable, and the surreal atmosphere like sort of takes you through. It's got a great score and good performances for such a sort of like young cast. Yeah, who hadn't really like been in a lot of films at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, as we'll see more of uh, Reggie in sort of uh, later sequels, we'll be discussing him a lot more. And you know when Tommy gets brought back as a dwarf. Mm-hmm. They're both very accepting of him. It's like, oh, that's Tommy. Oh, he's a dwarf. It just seems like not, 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 not in that much shock, really. But the, 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 mildly, the, the sort of surprise to the degree that you'd be surprised if you, I don't know, maybe like ran into an old friend in like Spain or something. Yeah, I know. It's just so odd. <laughs> like, oh, how weird. What are you doing here? Yeah. All right, okay, well, moving on. <laughs> oh, and I've got a great one because like, when Tommy gets killed at the start in the sex scene, um, the long shots in missionary position. The close-ups, mm. cowgirl. <laughs> so it's, just, it's just things like that would really bug you second time round, third time round of watching it. It's just like, grr, never mind. But yeah, it's a, it's a really enjoyable film. So you got boobies, you got gore. Um, <laughs> not much profanity, not much profanity. No. It's just the, the no WTF, drugs no drugs. Well, you've got to be on drugs, I think, if you wrote that script. But, uh, <laughs> no, so, I mean, it was not in the movie anyway. First Phantasm <laughs> definitely gets a thumbs up. So yeah. Uh, yeah. Check it out. We'll have to watch the second one, which is a whole different kettle of fish. It certainly is. So, moving on to Phantasm 2. Um, 1988, was it? 1988, yeah. Um, Studio-backed. Yeah, and that's an important distinction to make going into this review. Um, Universal, wasn't it, who distributed it? Yeah, they, they, they put up a lot of the money. Because the first one we didn't really mention, but it was quite a big success for a low-budget film. Oh yeah, uh-huh. definitely. Mm-hmm. I mean, 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, he's definitely yeah, did okay out of that because oh, I mean, the produ- producers are all family sort of things. So, yeah, uh, the, the first one, the sort of uh, mother and father of Coscarelli, and yeah, put up money for do it. Do you know what like I didn't mention about the first one? But I'll mention it now because I know it's running straight after the fact that when it comes up at the start, the titles are just plain titles, Phantasm, not film by, not nothing, mm-hmm. just Phantasm. And then the, the sort of titles which are quite yeah. light these days, the whole auteur thing, oh, it's a Quentin Tarantino joint or whatever it is, and yeah. that and it's like, which is fair enough, he's got enough behind him now to do that. But back then, it was just like, nah, they messing. Yeah, I quite like the sort of the, the plainness yeah. of the titles of the first one, exactly. By the time we get around to Phantasm 2, straight away, boom, you've got a logo now, yeah, um, mm-hmm. which is quite effective actually. It's very yeah. 80s, but it's quite mm-hmm. effective. Um, I like the logo actually, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it continues. To I like the, the fact the that the, the two. The sort of Roman numerals two kind of almost resembles like the blades of the sphere. I don't yeah, know. I don't, kind very of subtle. Do, yeah, so. very subtle. Very very subtle. The way the film opens recaps on the first film, while extending the scene of what happened at the end of Which the movie with new footage. I think's really good. It is really good. Very very good. Well, I mean, well done to be able to pull it back, as it were. And again, I don't think we should really worry too much about spoilers, considering the age of the film. No. But basically, when Mike is sort of uh, accosted by the tall man at the end of the, the first film. He uh-huh. appears in the mirror. Yeah. And, and Mike's literally just pulled into a wardrobe, isn't he? Like, yeah. Uh, it's just a good, such a good he's, end of the film. He's just pulled pulled through and glass, pretty much. It cuts to black, doesn't it? Uh, exactly. And then, so in this second one, Reggie is downstairs playing his guitar, which is where we left him in the first film. Mm-hmm. He hears a noise, runs upstairs, sees there's dwarves all over the house. So this is a new, new film now. Yeah, yeah. because... We've got a new person playing Mike in this film, and Mike Baldwin didn't return. We have mm-hmm. James Legros instead. Yeah. And this scene is set in the seventies, yeah. and not in the eighties where the rest of the film takes place. Mm-hmm. They needed to get someone, like, uh, back for reshoots, so they actually got a young girl who was dressed like Mike. Is that, is that right? That's right. Yeah. And because when Reggie finds him, he finds him unconscious. He puts him over his shoulder. Yeah. And they shot him, run down the hallway, and everything. Shot him from the back. Uh huh. But it's matched really it's well. Spot on. It's really good because to me it looks like, almost like outtakes. It does, and actually, yeah. I had looked at it was this the first up, film, yeah. And I had to research it because I was thinking, did they shoot this for the first film, then not use it? Yeah. But no, they, it's a lot of was reshot, and it's cleverly done because basically, um, the house is like under siege by the tall man and his minions. Mm-hmm. Like Reggie has to get out of there quickly. He puts the gas on, blows up his own house. Yeah. To destroy the uh, the T- sort of takes dwarves. a few out with uh, baseball bats and stuff. Exactly, it? yeah, brilliant. And and then he gets gets out of there. So then the film fast forward seven years, where um, Mike's in a mental institution. That's right. Um, obviously, he wakes up as a different person. <laughs> <laughs> literally, <laughs> literally. Um, and he's been convinced. He's telling them what they want to hear to get out. To get out. He do, he, sort of Terminator Two style. Basically, I mean, I've got um, I've got down as one line. Mike freshly out of mental institution. Takes up with Reggie to trap the tall man. That's that's basically that's what exactly the film right. is. It's a road movie, isn't it? However, this is where <laughs> this is bizarre. This. So after the prologue, and he spent seven years in the institution, he gets out. He meets Reggie. Reggie is trying to kind of like slightly rationalise it to himself, hasn't he? That it didn't really happen. Yeah. But then something happens where they can't ignore it, and they know right. Yeah, we've got to start. Literally him. sets them on the road. Exactly. Yeah. But so Reggie's house, as we discussed was blown up <laughs> and then five minutes later yeah. which is seven years of screen time it explodes again, again with wife and kids <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah 
<laughs> so what, what happens is they're on the way to Reggie's house. Yeah. And he's like, oh, you know, you're oh, going to no, love me, family. Mike suddenly becomes psychic as well. Yes, yeah. Mike's become psychic. Yeah. And uh, he basically has a connection with the tall man. He can see through things that are happening with the tall man. Mm-hmm. And he's also had dreams about this girl called Elizabeth. So, yeah, I'll be dreaming who, about her as well. <laughs> <laughs> and she has a psychic connection with both him and the tall man, and, yeah. and they're all they're all basically connected. So they're driving home to Reggie's house, and he's like, "Oh, you know, you 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 have to meet me family and meet sort of daughter and all this sort yeah. of thing." And then boom, yeah. the house blows up again. <laughs> it's the same effect, I think. It is. <laughs> it's, yeah. I, I looked this up, and what they did was they destroyed a real house with real pyrotechnics. And they were like, that's all we can afford, so we better make this count. Get a few angles. So they basically shot it from every conceivable angle and used the explosion again. Yeah. But what's what's really bizarre about that is not only is it a strange decision to blow up his house twice in five about five to seven minutes of screen time, uh-huh. but it's also the fact that you only ever see a photo of his family. There's no scene that shows you his family so you can care about them being killed. Oh, no. It's, it's just... just like, I've got a family, you're going to love them, boom. Yeah. <laughs> ta <laughs> in fact, he doesn't. He, he says uh, he says either his daughter or like uh, granddaughter's name something. Oh, little such and such as do you die in the meeting, Mike? To make Uncle Mike, as it were. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. Yeah. So, did Michael Baldwin not want to make Phantasm Two, or do you think it's been a studio thing? That it's wants definitely some a studio thing. Good young looking kid. Goscarelli's no, not that there. Said, Mike Baldwin was like he would have been perfectly fine in the film, you know. Basically, Universal. Um, wouldn't let them have him. They said they would let one cast member return. Mm-hmm. So he had to pick between Reggie Bannister uh-huh. as Reggie and Michael A. Baldwin as Mike. So he, he ended up choosing Reggie. Mm-hmm. And that was the sort of compromise. Now, it's clear that Elizabeth, or Liz, as she's uh-huh. known, this sort of psychic girl, just has no real purpose in the story. No. And he, and even Coscarelli has come out and said, Universal wanted us to put a female character in. I had to. Yeah, it's just yeah. Mm. So it's just it becomes a damsel in distress, etc. Exactly. Um, yeah. It, so it, which, is, which is a shame. I mean, it is. It is a shame. Um, the film's narrated by both Reggie and Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you say, I mean, she she's a sort of psychic character. She's a love interest for Mike, and she shares his abilities to see visions and things like that. The way that she's sort of shoehorned in at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Like, because although the opening it's scene clever, is really it's clever well the way done, she's sort of drawn stuff. The scenes from the first, first movie, yeah, uh-huh. like she's seen yeah, herself, so, yeah. Like the, so uh-huh. yeah. And then it fades into the, the mm. actual scene, and that's quite. That's well right. Done. I mean, the whole opening is really good. Yeah. But as the film draws on, you realise that she doesn't really have just, much purpose in the yeah, she's just baggage in the story, unfortunately. Um, so when so like you said before, it's a bit of a road movie. You, you get to like uh, them gathering supplies and weapons and things to go and look for the tall man, mm-hmm. and they're going around different states and finding those states are all dilapidated and decayed, uh-huh. and everyone's dead or missing. Yeah. Um, there's also a, a sort of very A team scene where Reggie makes his infamous quad barrel shotgun, which is very eighties. It is the whole shopping scene. Mm-hmm. Um, I know it's been sort of knocked off in films like Shallow Grave and that when they're going around uh, like you know mm. sort of comedy version reminds of it. me of Rambo in the finale where he's going to get all the weapons from that gun shop yeah 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 uh, First Blood yeah yeah, yeah just, just yes First Blood of course the, the, the tool up so they mm. go out like Reggie's got a shotgun Mike's got his flamethrower improvised flamethrower mm-hmm. um, which at the time I think when I watch it oh yeah it's well cool and that but like it's it just spends loads of time just doing nothing really in the film. That's the thing is my main major problem with Phantasm 2 as a whole is that not only does it redo a lot of stuff the first film did 
but the middle half is just them looking for the tall man mm-hmm. and encountering different characters. Yeah. You know, the the eventual because it takes a little while for them to find Liz, even though Mike's having dreams about her. Yeah. Um, and it also they also meet this uh, girl called Alchemy. Yeah. It's foreshadowed that she's dodgy from the beginning. Yeah. Because Mike has a dream about her being dead uh-huh. on the mortuary table. Yep. That's and you right. you're wondering throughout the film, obviously she's gonna, not going to be a good something's guy. Go, something's she, something's going to happen. Gonna happen yeah. with her. But we need a bit of love action for uh, Reggie. For so. Reggie, indeed. I mean, to me, um, this is very much like Evil Dead 2. Mm. It's like a rehash. It is in terms of the fact that it's like a rehash sequel. To explain to a remake. brand new audience, yeah. Yeah, but in terms of quality. Oh, no, yeah. It's, 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 <laughs> it's Evil Dead 2 no. is definitely a superior one. Um, I mean, having said that, I mean, special effects by Mark Shostrom. That is on. one saving grace of the film. Yeah. Is that the special effects are really good. There are some really good scenes in it. Like I said, the opening is excellent. Mm-hmm. Some of the sphere effects and the new spheres in it are really good. Spot on, yeah. There's, there's different sorts of mm-hmm. spheres in this one. Yeah. Um, which are really effective. And then there's one particular scene, um, which actually I should have brought. The, I've got a, a Phantasm fanzine from somewhere. And they use a shot of that on the front cover. And it's mm-hmm. pretty gruesome. Is that it the is. bit with the, where it goes in through the guy's chest comes out through his mouth? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's that's, that's a proper that's effects stand out that. that. Yeah, it's yeah. proper eighties prosthetic mm-hmm. effects. There's a guy sort of like going to get killed by a ball because his hands pinned to a wall. That's right. Yeah. And like rather mm-hmm. than the getting get by the ball, he just hacks his hand off just mm-hmm. like that. But yeah, it it does go over a lot of the same ground. Yeah, as the first. Film. There's scenes. There's like there's uh there's a scene where somebody's like pulled through glass in a similar way to like the first one. There's but basically. It does feel a lot like a big budget retread. Yes. That really sags in the middle. Right. And when and they're looking for the the tall man, they also encounter a new type of minion, which is the gravers. Yes, with the gas masks on. Yeah. Yeah. Which they're are basically quite effective, like henchmen who are digging graves for the tall man. Yeah. And like, they look kind of a bit like steampunky, don't they? Really? Yeah. Like kind of. Yeah. Tall man still a great character, but he's becoming mm-hmm. more Freddy Krueger like in this one. Yeah. That's well, that's what I didn't like in the second one is that like he has like some pretty he has like a lame pun where he's like. He picks up, um, he picks up Liz, doesn't he? And he's like, mm-hmm. "Hello," and he's like, and goodbye, and throws her off a yeah. wall. And it's just a, doesn't really work with his character no, very well. No, and also that scene is quite dodgy because the way she rebounds off the wall <laughs> just looks really wrong. Oh, is it? Oh, she's no, kind of bounces. She bounces, bounces off the wall. wall yeah, and comes back. Like, yeah, boing. <laughs> uh, like, that wasn't bad enough. They they do that again later on. Oh, they actually have somebody else get chucked off a wall when he's get, when he gets hit by a sphere. Sure, it's that guy who gets the sphere yeah. coming out of his mouth. But um, the sphere vision is different in this film as well. The sphere vision's like got like multicolored hints in the red, where it was mm-hmm. red only in the first yeah. film, and uh-huh. also that. Um, but I mean, one of the, the the big sphere in this one, which is bigger than the other ones, it's sort of like got a gold tint to it, doesn't it? That's right. Maybe it's I don't know. It's supposed to be a different, different kind yeah. of sphere vision because it's a different sphere, I guess. Um, there's a lot, there's a few cult film references in this because yes. there's like there's a few like little sort of like uh, in jokes and things. Yeah. There's like a gravestone with Alex Murphy, yes, aka I'm, Robocop. Yeah, um, as one point, some ashes are getting ground down, and again, the bag is labelled Sam Raimi. Yeah, <laughs> which I've never noticed before until I watched yeah. it this time. Mm-hmm. Um, there is some nice nods like that. It's a, it's a it's a solid little horror film, but in terms of the phantasm franchise franchise it, it, it's definitely weaker the low point yeah I mean the thing is when it does something it does it really well but you have to sit through a lot of like kind of you have to wade through a lot of stuff to get there yeah you know like the opening is great then it just goes on this kind of meandering road trip that seems to take forever I mean it's 
the, the, there is some good shots and there's a bit where Mike and uh, Reggie are going through this dug up graveyard mm-hmm. and these days it would all be CGI then I don't know if it was practical or if it was a match shot or whatever but it is mm. it's it's great and it's like you can see the sort of scale of, of the, the tall man that it's all rammed up but again going back to the first one mm-hmm. there's a scene in the first film where Mike goes to the antique shop where he's yeah. been baby, babysat and it's a very effective scene we didn't talk about it where mm-hmm. he finds a photograph of the tall man oh yes of course in yes. Victorian gear uh-huh. as if he's been in Morningside all, all along time. whereas by this time he's going across the country going to all these small towns effectively making them ghost towns mm-hmm. um, which doesn't kind of sit right if you know what I mean no it doesn't they, they use that photo again in a later sequel they do yeah yeah Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's similar to the ice cream scene they do reuse footage and do flashbacks and even use deleted scenes later yeah, which is interesting which is good but um, it's just, just again between films things don't quite add up yeah like some of the continuity is a bit yeah. at odds with each other This the, we talked about that um, some of the sort of bad attempts at humour like there's, there's some really lame sort of jokes in this I mean there's not really much humour and there's not really any humour at all in the I first mean, movie I guess Reggie by this one is becoming a lot more Ash. Yeah, he's become a lot more of kind of Bruce Campbell yeah. sort of wisecracking. Yeah. Shotgun totten sort of And he's just like, he just wants to get his leg over all the time. Basically, he? yeah. <laughs> Which is I mean, very much Ash. <laughs> <laughs> and it's uh there's there's this like really kinda of awkward, like sort of fully clothed like sex scene. Yeah. With um with the girl Ke- Alchemy. Kemi, yeah. Uh-huh. And and she yeah, Alchemy or, or Kemi is as he calls her, and she's sort of struck in his head as yeah, like talking about his bald yeah, head. Yeah. <laughs> God Reg, I love your head. It's just really, really <laughs> bizarre. I was reading uh, a bit of that uh, Phantasm Exhumed book and they said right. that when they were shooting that, Reggie Bannister's actual wife was next door. No, uh, <laughs> That's, that must have been uh, slightly awkward. So yeah, I mean, it's just it, I, I, very PG thirteen the way they're clothed. Like it's a bit odd. Yeah, Jim James Legros, very pouty. Mm. Um, I don't know. I mean, he's, he was a job actor. He took he took the job. I, yeah, it kind of works. But I think if they'd had the original Michael Baldwin, it wouldn't have been a different physicality mm. to him. You know? What yeah, I mean? that's right. I. Um, and the ending again. The ending is quite similar to the first one. Yes, because mm. to me in this one, spoiler alert, Reggie's dead. Mm-hmm. It's, it would seem that way from yes. the ending. Yeah, it would seem that way from the ending. Clearly, he can't be because he's one of the main heroes. Yeah. But in, well, I mean, it was still, still open season time, at the end of at the at time. The, at the time, though, ninety eight yeah. when you had when you knew there weren't more sequels coming, that could have been yeah. the last thing you saw. I mean, um, there's, there's I thought there's another thing that was really cheesy. That I forgot to mention. There's an awful scene where uh, Mike and Liz are reading each other's like uh, minds. Well, you haven't and seen it's... the version I've seen. The German work print version it goes a lot further than that. Well, I've heard about that. I've heard about what was cut. Yeah, there's like a kind of like sort of psychic sex, sex scene. scene yeah, there, yeah. Which just sounds really I forgot, bizarre. I forgot about that version. I should have dug it out. Yeah. So we mentioned the Gravers, who are like the new minion that's introduced to the tall man. I guess they're kind of present in the original one. That there's like a caretaker looking after things, but these are like mm-hmm. they've got a kind of uniform. If you like, you know, they've got gas masks and like sort of like equipment and stuff. Like um, you know, weapons and things. There's a scene where Reg encounters one in a sort of basement in like uh, in the in the mortuary they go oh, to, chainsaw and they fight. have a chainsaw duel. Yeah, um, <laughs> which was quite funny because I was just thinking it's the second film we re- reviewed this year where a chainsaw goes into someone's testicles. <laughs> <laughs> 
Marvelous. You don't get on every podcast. No, you do don't. You? you don't exactly. But there's quite a funny bit where like um, he's up a height and the guy he's dueling with like uh, is on sort of lower ground and he has to jump the chainsaw. Yeah. And and apparently um, Reggie Bannister wanted to do a lot of his own stunts and he said we're not letting you do that. <laughs> no way. No. <laughs> we're gonna let you do that. He did a lot of the other stuff, but they, they drew the line at that one. Yeah. <laughs> But um, I mean, what, what do you think about the, the two henchmen, the sort of the two pole bearer type right. people? Well, pasty faced, not used very well. No, not Some... used very well at all. And there's also the subplot with the priest. Yes, uh-huh. he was uh-huh. kind of like he basically sort of like uh, encounters that sort of dead come back to life. And he knows there's of, something up. Yeah, he knows there's something up. You you mentioned the whole thing about uh, Tall Man going a bit more Freddy Krueger in this one. I feel like they did a lot of good things to reverse that in later sequels and make it more menacing again. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is the only one where they kind of fell down on that. But then again, I think that was sort of the time in the 80s yes where Freddy they, were was making, they were marketing all the horror movie villains as like as franchises Jason yeah and making them kind of like pop culture icons yeah exactly but there's there's a scene that is very much like seems to be a product of that where the priest is kind of being attacked by the tall man and he turns the crucifix upside down and that yeah and that like seems very much like a kind of byproduct of a lot of films at the time yeah. uh-huh. and not something that particularly feels very phantasm like when no. you've seen all the movies no no um <clears throat> But there's there's a brilliant special effect towards the end about the uh, tall man's fate in this movie. Mm-hmm. There's like a kind of meltdown sequence, yeah, where he, he gets an embalming tube stuck in him, and, and then hydrochloric acid poured into him. Bit scanners, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's eyes popping and stuff. It is, <laughs> that I is mean, a great effect. Great Shostrom effects, like I always and, like. And that's the thing is the film has loads of great moments like that. You uh-huh. just have to really wade through some crap to get there. Yeah. Unfortunately. It's. It doesn't really do anything to move the series along. No. There's nothing that makes any attempt to explain what happened to Jody from the first film. Phantasm no. Three goes into that. Yeah. But in this one, we don't get anything moved along. There's no. There's no like. There's no. It basically feels like they've kind of just remade the first film in a different way. Like you said, well, like yeah. the Evil Dead Two style sequel come remake. It's like we're not. We need to sell it to a mainstream audience, even mm. though the, the first one obviously did enough business that a lot of people had seen it and. Yeah, um, yeah. I'd say it's, it's a curious film. Basically, it it's it's nowhere near as good as the original, and it's my least favorite in the franchise well, by far. I think certainly when you're watching them back to back in the in the form that we're doing, obviously to, to be able to do these reviews, mm. it, it it's definitely weak, a lot weaker. Yeah, yeah. I think it, at the, it's at the one time, most highly regarded as well. Well, yeah, at the time, I mean, evidently the Rotten Tomatoes or whatever Metacritic score mm. is weird, a lot lower than what I thought it would have been. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Because you can't really watch it as a standalone, although it's it's explained. Um, it works a lot better when you see it in context. Definitely. But um, I don't know. I, I, I think, think the studio days, interference is uh, is done in a lot of harm. Yeah, I was going to say the marketing for the film was all about the ballers back. Mm. Um, so a sequel with balls, I believe. All <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> and I'm sure there's I'm sure there's a bit in the uh, trailer that isn't. You might the, be right. It might be one of the work. Uh, yeah, scenes. and I think it's like it's a, almost like a bit Again, of a, a lot was cut apparently. Yeah. Um, and like Fraser mentioned, there is a work work print which was available in uh, Germany. I believe yeah, it was. I've got the. Um, it has a lot of extra scenes, and there's also one of three, as well, right. um, which has a lot of extra things in it. But um, but basically, it just seems to um, meander a bit too much and retread a bit too much, and yeah. unfortunately, be a bit more like commercial and kind of typical eighties horror. Mm. And all those things just do it a disservice. I mean, we would just say it's a product of its time. Yeah, very much so. Um, whereas, like like you say, the, the creative 
elements of the first one were very much of the 70s where everything was mm. still new yeah um, and it was you know and the, the experimental weirdness of like the yeah. sort of first movie make it very intriguing and very intriguing open to repeat viewings whereas this one just feels like a standard kind of MTV sort of almost yeah, yeah. aye yeah it's, oh, that's a shame but never mind it right. is moving on moving on number three Okay, moving on to Phantasm 3. Yes, to give it its full title, Phantasm 3, The Lord of the Dead. Lord of the Dead. Now, I remember renting this out back in the mm. day. Heavily mm-hmm. censored by mm. the BBFC at the time. Um, and just being so disappointed. Mm. So disappointed at the time. I first saw it on a pirate that was actually uncut because it was taken off a laser disc. Right. Quality. Yeah. <laughs> and it, we, funnily enough, we mentioned that in the last shark review, didn't we? Bootlegs from Lizards had a certain quality to them. Like yes. it looked a bit better than VHS, but the colour was a bit wrong. Yeah. Um, that anyway, was... <laughs> that, that was how I was first uh, introduced to it. So I did see it in cut and first viewing. Mm-hmm. But uh, before we get into like the uh, the movie itself and like you know all the sort of story and everything, we should talk about the fact that now we have the original cast back in this instalment. Yeah. So instead of James LaGrosse's Mike, we now have. Michael A. Baldwin from the first movie back as Mike. Looking considerably older, bless him. He, he, oh, yeah, bless him. Yeah, uh, he, has, he hasn't aged well. It's definitely Geordie, but, uh, well, I mean, you know, I mean, how many years? I, what's this? 1993? Yeah, 1994, I think. 1994, beg your pardon. Um, but anyway, he, when you look at his face, though, as a kid, he had kind of an old face, I think, in a strange way. Like, he looked young, but he had yeah. like, a mature looking face. If I mean, that I, makes I don't sense. know. How old he was filming the, the original one in 78, 79, whenever mm. it was, you know what I mean? But yeah. I have read that, um, I can't remember off the top of here. Mike, I remember just watching it and then obviously Mike coming back from the first film. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, it was just weird because I think I'd watched Phantasm 2 more than the original Phantasm for some mm-hmm. reason. Probably about the age I was, you know what I mean? It was a bit more gl- yeah. guns and stuff and whatnot. But uh, yeah, so it, it is, it takes a bit of sort of adjustment and reset. Mm. Reggie Bannister just looks the same. Yeah, that's the funny <laughs> thing because we mentioned obviously the fact that he started where the end of the first one began and the second one and reshot stuff and that, and he didn't even look that much different then. No. And there've been like there've been like seven or eight years between those films, and again he he hasn't changed very much in this one. So we're again treated to another sort of recap opening yes. in this one, um, which is a mixture of footage from one and two, mm-hmm. and then again some new footage mixed in for continuity's sake. Um, and the most significant piece of new footage shows that, that the tall man survived the last movie. Yeah. And it kind of establishes the first important part of series law that we didn't really get into, which is the fact that there's multiple versions of the tall yeah, man. Yeah, because he comes stepping out of the gate, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah, and he actually disposes of his old of course, corpse yeah. by chucking it through the space, it back gate, like the space gate. Like yeah. it's rubbish. Uh-huh. Um, so that's like probably the first thing this film does to establish... like. A concrete piece of like series law mm-hmm. because that going forward is a big feature of like the upcoming sequels. Yeah, that no matter how many times you destroy them, a new one just comes through the gate. Seemingly, like a kind of there's multiple copies of them. So, like was said in the second movie, um, Liz was superfluous, yes, and she's super superfluous at the start yeah, of this she's one. She's unceremoniously killed off at Quite the beginning, nasty. yeah. I mean, and she's never mentioned again, no, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> And it's probably because Coscarelli was forced to put her in Phantasm 2 yeah. by studio execs. Can you give us a sort of plot summary for this one? This one sort of picks up where the last one left off with Reggie seemingly dead, but we actually realise that he's he's not. <laughs> Rescues Mike. Rescues Mike. Doesn't rescue the girl. That's right. It's, it's too late. And they basically um, 
they encounter Jory, mm-hmm. and they they start like they start to sort of basically chase the sort of truth of what happened to him. Yeah, because Jory appears before them as ghost struck sphere. Yeah, he seems to be able to change his form. Yes, between the like human form and the sphere form, mm. and it seems to be established that the tall man puts the brains of like uh, corpses into his spheres. Yeah. And he'll, he he turns each corpse into two minions, a sphere and a dwarf. Uh huh. So it looks like Jordy's is one of the spheres that he but, but he he's seems a, to have broken he's, free. He's a good in one. In his control. Mm, yeah. Yeah, cheesy. Um, it is a bit cheesy. I mean, uh, but at least this one starts to move things along in terms of story. It does, but uh, straight away at the start of the film, because at the end of the film, at the end of the first film, the question was posed as to what happened to Jordy. Yeah. Two made no attempt to answer that, uh-huh. and even though it is a bit cheesy and it goes in some strange directions, I like the fact that at least it's starting to pick up and story and mythology stuff going forward. You know? mm-hmm. Um. One of the first things I don't like in this film, it is quite a brutal start with, with, with the girl getting killed off, mm-hmm. but the sort of Evil Dead humour that's a bit more prevalent than this one, yeah. where Reggie shoots, just takes a blind shot into a tree. And then the four dwarves fall, fall down, like thump, thump, many. thump, thump, and it's yeah. just... Mm. I know, it's it's sort of funny, but it, it doesn't really feel like Phantasm again. Because Phantasm's, the first two are really played quite straight. Yeah, I mean, we mentioned there's some lame attempts at humour and some sort of, like, Freddy Krueger-type antics from the Troll Tall Man's, like, dialogue yeah, and stuff. but it's not as broad as, as no. that as, as that. They sort really of go out into making it a comedy horror in this one, which yeah. doesn't quite work. But again, it's, it's probably the times of but the when it came out as well. It Although it doesn't quite work, at least some of the jokes are actually funny, which they really weren't in two. Yeah. <laughs> I've got to say this off the bat. Right. Worst, one of the worst continuity errors I've ever seen in a film in this. Which is... That, you know, if you remember when they first encountered Jody, it's in Reggie's house. But mm-hmm. what happened to Reggie's house in Phantasm 2? Oh, shit. It was blown up. <laughs> twice. <Yeah>. So the. <laughs> no, I've never. No. Oh, shit. <laughs> so basically, he's, he's never had any chance to go back to his house or rebuild it. He's been on the no, road because since this, two. And Phantasm 3 picks up. Exactly where it uh, left uh, off, uh, just yeah. like the first uh, one. Yeah, uh, sorry, Phantasm Three picks up exactly where Phantasm Two left off. Yeah. yeah. So there's been no time for him and to get a new house on the road. Exactly. Yeah. Seemingly for quite a long time. Uh huh. So his house basically magically regenerates, allowing him to go back and uh, oh, tool up again. Yeah. <laughs> um. So bizarre. Um. Ah, that's the thing though. It's got a lot wrong with it, but I enjoy it a lot more than two. It's better. Yeah, it it sticks with the... It's a lot more entertaining. Yeah. And it sticks with the mythology. But then again, there. I mean, you've got these characters that pop up. There's a Home Alone-style kid. There's a, Yeah, there's a kid who's defending his home from, like, sort of bandits. Because of, as we've established in the previous review, the tall man's been going around America destroying states like and killing that. everyone. Yeah. So all this, all the sort of states that they encounter the are all, ghost like, towns, ghost towns. Yeah. yeah, and this kid's, like, survived alone with quite a decent Boom. haircut, considering... <laughs> He's got all these booby traps in his house, and these criminals yeah. come to his house, and he dispatches them with the booby traps, uh-huh. literally like killing them. And there's um, a nod to Mad Max too, as well, isn't there, with the frisbee yeah, instead of a boomerang? There's, yeah, there's a bit where he chucks a frisbee which has blades on it. How the hell how he, he threw it with the uh, without a glove? And how the hell he made that contraption? Yeah. Who knows? But anyway, I mean, one thing about the kid being in it, um, although he's not the greatest character to say the least, 
there is quite a good scene which shows you what happens to his town. There's like a flashback. Yeah. I quite like the flashback to like how the tall man came to his town and destroyed it. And I suppose it's a it's a bit of a callback to the first one. Like I said, Mike's quite resourceful in the first one, mm-hmm. and so yeah. so is his kid. But like Mike was a bit. I guess more... they wanted to show another kid who'd been affected and his yeah. life kind of ruined in the same way. But like, and I mean, it's... the kid is quite a serious character. There's not much humor with him apart from the weird scenes in which he kills the sort of. Uh, the bad guys and it is a bit like you say sort of like you know sort of typical like horror comedy humor yeah um and then when rocky and does it tanisha turn up yeah the two female characters yeah uh, tanisha i've got written here can't scream she's got badly <laughs> dubbed scream on it when she gets uh taken out early doors yeah i mean it it looks a lot nicer than two i think it's shot better and it's just more visually interesting it's very it's you can say it's done on a shoestring, though. Well, definitely. I mean, definitely you can. But uh, this is the first film to have like proper digital effects for the spheres as well. There's like CGI spheres. Yeah, and they don't look is, too bad. Yeah, I mean, considering when it was made, I mean, they actually look alright. You know, you know, you mentioned before that we get to see sort of inside a sphere where you see yes. a little brain and there's also mm-hmm. this like little eyeball sphere, like a sort of telescopic sort of yeah. thing. Yeah, does that take eye it away from you a bit? Yeah, a little bit. It does I think for me. That, I mean, I think in this film is the first one where they refer to it as Sentinels, and that kind of makes sense because they're the they're the they're the ones that are in this movie have the eyes that watch people. Mm-hmm. Um, but it makes it a bit too sort of like, you know, when Hollywood brings out a sequel to something and they try to shoehorn something in that wasn't in it before. Yeah. Like for my major major bugbear is Predators, the uh, Predator sequel where it introduces the fact that there's all these different types of predators and the one oh, from the yeah. original is like another sort of species that I hated that. Right. And that is a similar thing for me. The fact that it's all right, he's got all these different types of spheres. I know there was like, there was the golden sphere in the second one, but that uh-huh. seemed like a special but it was just, one that was maybe like a day, one-off it was or just, something. It was a kill, it's a killer machine. Yeah. Whereas these ones, it's just... They've got like, because you now know they've got human brains and they've got minds of their own and one of them's like Geordie, it kind of, yeah. it takes away from the fact that like mindless sort of set drones, and drones yeah, uh-huh, yeah. and makes them into more of a kind of like I guess like sort of like mini little characters with a bit of personality because some of them even do things that are off and especially with one being Jordy, he does off colour things and the tall man finds he can't control them yeah etc but still I find it more entertaining even though there's a lot of things that don't quite work in it what about the fact that the tall man seems to be able to teleport around well I suppose that is something that was even I mean, you could argue that that was even prevalent in the first film. There's not really any rhyme or reason to where he appears and things. Mm. It's a bit Jason Voorhees like in that regard that you can just catch up with you no matter what. Yeah. And that sort of thing. Um, but at least this like, is moving things along. I mean, also, we mentioned that the uh, the spheres were referred to as Sentinels for the first time. The dwarves also referred to as Lurkers by right, the kid. Right. Um, and but then is that not just funny because we're just talking about Walking Dead before though? Is that not just the way that like, in the Walking Dead they're called biters, walkers? Yeah, you know what I mean. It could be like, uh, yeah, is 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 that a, is that a canon? <laughs> well, that's the thing is that's the kid's name for them. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But like, I'm just saying, you know, that somebody has an altered name for them other than dwarves. There's um, Rocky is like a sort of sort of quite sort of strong female character she's like no nonsense type, kind of. yeah. and she doesn't understand exactly what's happened except all the people in the town went missing and she's mm-hmm. trying to find out what happened Yeah, she carries nunchucks about and there's a scene where a sphere flies out and she braids it with nunchucks yeah. and snaps the chain <laughs> <laughs> odd um, but one thing I have to say that is quite good about the humour in this one 
some of the scenes where where Reggie is trying to like uh, seduce Rocky are hilarious. Well, again, it's just more <laughs> it's more sub exactly. Evil Dead uh, shenanigans shtick. Uh, <laughs> but it's it's just um, there's a scene where he's in a hotel room with her, and we've failed to mention that I don't know if we mentioned briefly she's black. And there's a scene where he leans over to her and he says, "Have you ever tried vanilla?" Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Just so wrong, but so funny at the same time. I mean, you know what? There's there's a bit where Mike sort of almost dies, mm-hmm. and you get the old sort of like walk into the light type scene. Yes, and which Jordy is contrad- contradictory to what the tall man says. In, I don't know if it's in the first or second film. He says some long lines of like, "You think when you die, you go to heaven." Yeah. You know, you come to me, so that's right. you know, I don't know in, is that a sticky line or Well the the original that line was in I think that line was in two but it was yeah. cut and it was later used in another So way. in that case that right, okay, that's been bugging me all all the day. It's used in the trailer. That's right. You mentioned earlier yeah. on there was a bit in the trailer, trailer it's not in it. Th- yeah. I'm sure that line is in the trailer but it's not in the movie. Yeah. And I think they might use it in another one. I can't right. remember off the top of right. It's a great line like it's, it it's is, excellent yeah. in, in, in the trailer. It's a bit sort of Hellraiser ish, isn't it? Like Definitely. It kind of yeah. it's like a similar sort of thing or Pinhead would say, I guess. Yeah. Alright, oh, um, okay that clears that up, but you know but I mean even that scene it's just so cheaply done. Mm. It's just so yeah. cheesy. There's this scene where Reggie is dreaming about having sex with Rocky, and Johnny uh-huh. like comes into his dream and interrupts. Oh, it's yeah. really just, awkward and weird. Oh, it's just so weird. <laughs> um, but uh, Reggie also goes a bit Danny Glover at one point and says, "I'm too old for this shit," <laughs> which, which seems, seems fair enough. It's very dodgy that that kid with a gun. Yeah, that's very. Mm. on PC these days very much so yeah and he's very comfortable with it as well he, he is he does seem ridiculously comfortable with it. yeah um, <laughs> no I mean uh, like I said the first time I watched it oh I was so disappointed last time I watched it maybe it's not so bad this time I did quite enjoy it but there's too, too many plot holes in it there's a bit where Rocky um, is hanging by a nunchucks yes and it just uh-huh. flicks over and she's back on the floor and she's just like 20, 30 feet up or whatever. Yeah. And then it just cuts there's over. There's a lot of stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, there's loads of bits like the that. The criminal gang who uh, oh. is, is are killed by um, the kid are reanimated by the tall man who's used this kind of zombie henchman. Yeah. But they're really, really lame characters. It's and very of its time horror, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that damages it a little bit. To me, if he'd... They, they could have just used the generic sort of zombies you wouldn't even have had to have known them as characters before yeah. that would have been better also if they'd replaced the scene where Reggie first meets the criminal characters because Reggie does run into them while, while they're alive mm-hmm. and they put him in the trunk of his car um, and that scene's just all like so like proper over over the top like acting isn't it it's just so yeah. it's it's probably like straight to video crap that, that sort of that whole scene it really doesn't ring true and it doesn't feel like it should be in a phantasm movie, really. I must admit, when one of the zombies gets taken out by one of the balls, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's like the ball goes straight Aye. clean through the head. Yeah, um, uh, it's like, I don't know. Did Mark Shostrom do the effects on this as I'm well? I'm not sure actually. Um, uh, are you talking about the screw top head death? As I'm yeah, oh yeah, in my uh-huh. notes. <laughs> yeah. Aye, that's the one. Because the the Jordy sphere, since since it's got a sort of mind of its own, and like Jordy's able to like intervene and help them. Yeah. He kind of latches onto one of the zombies and starts to spin the sphere. Yeah. And it kind of screws like screws the head round and round until. It's very much a sort of Shostrum type effect, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, even if he didn't work on it, it's, it seems to like be kind of reminiscent of the thought. Oh yeah, no, it, but there's a scene where the ball goes clean. 
clean through one of the heads mm-hmm. and it just leaves a sort of circle right the way through. Yeah. That's pretty cool as well. There are some good effects again, like too. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and, and it's funny that Coscarelli said in an interview that when he made three, he felt like he was running out of ideas, but that is not evident in this film because even though it has, it's a bit messy and it has a lot of things wrong with it, there's tons of ideas in this film. There's almost yeah. too many ideas in it. Mm-hmm. It's packed to the brim of things that they don't fully explore or like you know maybe gives you like a little bit of insight into something and then they kind of move away from that. It seems to just like you just chucked everything at the wall with this yeah. movie. Um, it utilizes more footage from the original Phantasm again. Uh-huh. This is proper sort of cutting room floor stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but the thing is, is we, we mentioned in our previous review, there's a bit where Mike remembers that the tall man doesn't like the cold. Yeah. Now, as we said, we don't really feel like that was properly established in the first one by mm-hmm. that scene. But you see that scene again. So Coscarelli's intention was to show him part one, apparently. Or, that, he's, to me, he's just repurposed it for the yeah, sake of... Like, I think possibly that is the case. Yeah. But he thinks... Oh, he's, oh he's, he's perpetrated the myth anyway. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. <laughs> that it was supposed to show that he didn't like it. So that is one of the ways that he's trying yeah, to so defeat the, him in the, this the, Yeah, the, the push him in a, in a freezer, don't Yeah. yeah. Um, but it, it's just odd the way they have repurposed that. I think there, there are better uses of old footage in the series. Um, we'll not go into this until like, some later reviews but 4 has some good uses of old footage no, in it I have, I've got to watch that yeah I'm going yeah. straight home after this to watch it and something record um, the rest but yeah the so there's there's also like um, a good scene where Mike sees the tall man's army of spheres and there's tons of them yeah that's cool yeah I think that was like, that was in the trailer and you thought oh this looks awesome yeah, right, and they're all just bobbling about on the ceiling <laughs> that's that's pretty good yeah there's also like uh, this scene where he's sitting in this room that looks quite atmospheric. It's like it seems to be like lit with loads of candles and things, and he's kind of got a sphere in his hand, and it's it's quite it's quite sort of stylishly shot. I like that bit. Um, and I mean, because it's much sillier than the first two, and has a lot more jokes that don't quite work. Mm. That does make you groan a bit, but it does make some good attempts at continuing the story, and at least it cements aspects of the mythology that become important later, and it starts to address the whole what happened to Jody thing. I like that. I mean, I think it's it maybe originally the, the, the original film wasn't really meant to have legs, so it was a standalone. Yeah. And now by this the time, the cracks start to show and yeah. extend it a bit. But it's very entertaining for me. I mean, there's a lot of good there's a lot of good moments. I mean, Angus Scrim is particularly good in this one. I think. Yeah. I mean, like you said, there's a few campy moments with him in the second one. Uh-huh. And what I failed to mention in the second one, I was going to say, which was in my notes, is I don't feel like they use him that much in the second one compared uh-huh. to the other films. I feel like there's less tall man in the second movie, which is another reason I don't like it quite as much. Yeah. Um, in this, they use him quite a lot, but I also feel like he walks quite a fine line between subtlety and an over-the-top performance in this mm-hmm. one. He's really good in everything he, he has, and he has some quite good lines. Uh, much like that line you mentioned in two, there's, there's some other similarly good lines. Yeah, in this. which are probably like heavy hitting lines rather yeah. than cheesy. Yeah, cat- throwaway silly Kruger, lines. Uh, yeah. yeah. We mentioned uh, in the first review as well. There's a scene where one of, in the first movie where one of his fingers get cut off. Mm. They turn into a bug. In this one, both his hands get cut off when he goes through the space gate portal, and he gets yeah. he gets them chopped off because they're sticking out, and they turn into two individual monsters. I think the effects are a bit better this time around, though. Yeah. <laughs> um, I could have really done without the gangster characters, but overall, you know, it's it's just like a kind of 
even though it shouldn't probably be quite as silly as it is, mm-hmm. it do, there is some fun to be had with this one, and it moves the series on in a meaningful way. Um, there's some lines, Nick. There's a line that's very similar to Aliens, where the young kid says, "Oh, they they only come out at night." Yes, which I is noticed. Very that much as well. like uh, Newton Aliens. I forgot to put that in my notes. Yeah, I yeah. Put that in my notes. It, they've, they've done a subtle change to the normal um, ball kills. The, the the balls sort of mm. rotate now as they come towards that's you, right, which yeah. is quite a nice little mm. touch. Um, they just try to make the most of it, I suppose, under under, under the budget conditions. But uh, so yeah, I mean, for me, watching this for the third fourth time I, I enjoyed it a lot more um, than i thought i would actually i was quite pleased to watch it again because i'd honestly last time i watched it i thought i'm never gonna watch these again yeah and um, so i'm looking forward to the fourth one now yeah definitely it's a it's a very interesting one the fourth one i'll be that'll be another one that's probably uh quite a long segment i mean there. again this one's left as a cliffhanger ending mm-hmm. um which they all kind of are really, is, is reggie pinned to a wall by all yes, the all the spheres. that's right he's he's pinned he's like sort of pinned against this wall and the kid's like uh, grabbed by the tall man at the very end. Yeah. And is he pulled through the grass at the end, like many characters are? Probably is, yeah. There's there's this very uh, surreal and kind of eerie uh, moment where Mike goes into a bathroom and he starts to pick away at his head. Yeah. And his head's silver underneath. He gets kidnapped by. By the well, tall get man. captured by the tall man, and the tall man's starting some sort of procedure on him. Yeah. And then it, it turns out half his head's flapping off, and it's got. It looks like there's a ball underneath That's it. That's right, yeah. It and looks like there's a sphere in, yeah. his, in his head. Uh-huh. And his eyes turn silver and it yeah. looks really sinister and weird. Yeah. And he basically kind of like runs off thinking that he's a danger to the group. Yeah. So you kind of end with him sort of going a separate ways because he doesn't want to... very sort of splintered ending really, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. So, uh-huh. it, it's, it's probably the best cliffhanger in terms of it, it makes you want to watch the next one. Yeah. Because you feel like the tall man's influence is starting to extend to Mike now. But then, I mean, I think probably when I watched this first time round, I thought, oh, what a bloody jip. Because mm. there was no talk of doing a Phantasm 4 at the time, yeah. even though obviously they probably shot it back to back. Um, no, they didn't actually. Did they it not? Was quite a long, it was quite a while afterwards. Right, yeah. right. But whereas these days, because I'm, yeah. we're used to that films being made back to back and long running TV series, but that's probably another thing why I disliked it the first time round, because I thought just too many questions left. Mm hanging at yeah. the end because it's such like a cliffhanger ending um so this one really starts to make you think that the tall man has plans for mike and that he wants him to be almost some sort of replacement because yeah, he doesn't he doesn't just kill him off mm-hmm. which he does other characters with, yeah. but obviously that was because the words because he's, there in the first he's place. intended he's intended to kill reggie on more than one occasion yeah he's he killed jody seemingly long ago but he's always been interested in the ball Exactly. That's very true. We've not even mentioned the no, fact no, says no. that all the time. That's, that is his catchphrase, isn't it? Yeah. Boy. Yeah. But uh, so it would seem that he has plans for him and while as this one ends, you know that he has some sort of influence on him or control or he's trying to control him. Yeah. Or maybe even make him a replacement for him, like kind of make him the next kind of tall man if you like. Mm-hmm. So going into the fourth one, that does start to explore a bit more about what the tall man's plans for Mike are. But when basically at the end of this film, all bets are off. You just don't know what's going to happen. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's one of the reasons I like it because I think that, you know, at least it shows a bit more story initiative and it starts to move things towards a mm. more definitive story rather than the kind of meandering of two. So, for me, the high water marks the first one, then we'll drop down for the second one, and this Into one's the... leveling off on a plateau mm. of, of better. But it's sort of Flawed. somewhere in between, yeah, in, in between yeah. the two. So be interesting to think what you see, what you think of Oblivion. I know, yeah, 
We'll have to move on to that. Well, I'm going to have to move on to that one very quickly. Right. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah, we'll see you for uh, part two very shortly.